Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Thank you, Jason. Welcome once again. We are in a series um, in the first part of the book of Acts, and I'm so glad you guys are all here with us. Um, as we talk about this moment in the history of the church when the church was just being birthed. We're calling it becoming the church. And it's really beautiful because as we find ourselves with some opening up, gathering back in person, those babies we dedicated, you guys, some of those, we, those were the first times we got to see their little faces through the pandemic. And it's just such a joy to think things are opening up and here we are together. And as we're looking at new ways to be the church together, the fact is we want to be leaning back leaning back into something ancient and timeless and steadfast. It's the church of Jesus, and that's what we're studying now. We're looking at the marks of this early community as they participated with the Holy Spirit working in and through them, and the thing birthed was church. Today, uh, through the course of this week, we were reading Acts 3 and 4, and today we're talking about what I'm calling communal generosity, answering the question, why do we give? Now, quickly, from last week, um, I showed you guys a graphic to remind us that when we read the book of Acts, it's really the second part of a two-part book written by Luke. Luke wrote the Gospel of Acts in which all things were headed towards Jerusalem, towards the moment of the risen Lord. The book of the Gospel of Luke ends with this moment of the risen Lord. And then the book of Acts starts in Jerusalem and also written by Luke and talks about the risen Lord and from there just explodes as the Holy Spirit does amazing work through the apostles as they participate with the Holy Spirit. So this is a two-part book and this is a continuation. What Luke is setting up is we're talking about a continuation of the people of God. He leans back on the ancient scriptures, our Old Testament, time and time again to remind us this is a continuation of the work of what God is doing through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit, all God, all God's continued work. So one of the things that we are doing is looking at these different features of this early church community, the extension of the people of God. And one of the things we see is this amazing generosity. So let's start for a minute because we remember that Luke is a two-part work. Luke wrote a two-part work. Let's talk about what Jesus teaches about money. You may have heard the expression, money is the root of all evil. That's actually a misquote from the Bible. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, love of money is the root of all evil. Jesus taught about money a lot. Actually, I heard it once said, I haven't done the counting myself, that of all of the recorded teachings of Jesus, it's second only to the kingdom of God. He talked about the kingdom of God the most and money second. Money isn't evil or good. Money is a thing. It is a tool. And Jesus wasn't afraid to talk about it. It's an item to exchange. The thing that he wanted to talk about was heart posture in regard of the use of this tool. So he talked about it a lot in the Sermon on the Mount, which is this long sermon from Jesus, at least the longest recorded sermon that we have in Matthew. Um, it starts in Matthew 5. We're going to read from Matthew 6. He talks about not being sh showy 
when you give. Uh, just don't give for show. Just your father sees your generosity without you making a show of it. In 619, starting in 19, he says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot decay, destroy, excuse me, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. He goes on a few verses later to teach, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your treasure? We think about things like, is my treasure of my heart, right? My heart posture towards my bank account? my position at work, my Instagram following, wherever that treasure is, that's where your heart's affection will be. That's where your heart's devotion will be focused. So it's how you use and engage with this tool of money. That's a demonstration of your heart posture. That's what Jesus talked about, a natural outpouring of what's already in your heart. And we know that Jesus wanted our hearts to be postured to love God, to love others, and to use this tool, this thing, accordingly not idolizing or worshiping things of this world. Now, also knowing in the conversation around generosity, what was it that Luke would have been building on from the people of God? Well, in the Old Testament, we see this system that was created for what's called tithes. You may have heard that in the church world, tithes and offerings. And it was a system. It was a rule set aside to say, whatever your harvest is, set aside 10% to give it to the priests, to the temple, 10% of your harvest. That's where the tithing concept comes from. But Jesus in Luke eleven forty two 42 scolds the Pharisees because they've so stuck to this rule that their hearts are mispostured. Again, Jesus is always going to the heart. He says, what, a, what sorrow awaits you Pharisees? For you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. So what God meant in that rule of the regular giving, which is a good thing, it was just meant to have your heart always postured, that what I get, what I receive from thy harvest is all from God, and I need to be postured accordingly, regularly, to know that my heart posture says it's all from God, and it's not about a legalistic rule. It's about forming, a spiritual formation of our hearts to be giving. Now, if you're joining us this morning as a guest, again, welcome. This next part is a little weird for us. We don't usually talk this way, but we are a church community here, and if we're talking about generosity, we need to talk about how we as a church steward our shared resources. So welcome to a little moment of family talk, but it's really important for us as a church here to know what's going on with our shared resources. At Missio de Wrigleyville, we really uh, take great emphasis on several things when it comes to our tithes and offerings. Accountability, plurality, responsibility, and generosity. I promise this will go quickly, but you guys need to know this stuff. We all need to. It's tactical for a moment. We, all that we have comes from this community. Every, all of our resources comes from us. This is, this is it. And so 
How is it that we spend this? Now, in part, I think it can be awkward. Pastors are really well known for being awful at talking about money, if that makes sense. There's a couple reasons, I think, personally. Number one, it's, it's not an area of huge gifting for me, financial. I mean, I'm, I'm careful, but I, like, I don't know. I don't get real jazzed about spreadsheets. It's just not my personality, but I'll do them. Um, I, anyway, that's enough of that. The second thing is, let's state the obvious. I'm talking about money, and my vocation is that I've been hired by this community to make my living pastoring. And so it kind of can feel like, well, that's awkward. She shouldn't really talk to us about that. But we have to talk about this. This is shared resources. This is our money, our generosity. So here's the first thing, accountable. When I say that we're accountable is that... Um, we need to be always talking about money, not in an awkward way, but say, here's what we have, here's what we need. Every week, you will see our financial giving report in the newsletter. We put it out there. There's not secret. You see our budget. You can have access. You do have access, partners all the time, to um, the approval of the budget, everything else. Um, also, I would say that, and, and we're accountable to how we're spending everything. So in our reporting or anything like that, there's great accountability. I um, am accountable to our executive elder, all of this for how any spending goes. The next thing I would say is plurality. When we decide how to spend our resources, there are so many voices involved in this. Our neighborhood elder teams, also our directional elder teams, it's developed with the help of the ops board, which that's what Liz was on. I was saying it's a board of lay people with representatives from each congregation that get together with our executive elder and make things like financial decisions that are not uh, everybody's forte, right? And so there's all these voices that need to approve it. And then we show it to our partners and it has to be passed by a vote. So plurality, lots of wisdom, lots of voices and leaning on each other, including people that are better at these kinds of things. Um, another thing that you should know is that, that we're responsible then to live within that budget, but never more than what comes in. So let's just say, for example, one of you were to come up to me and say, you know what, Melissa? I've decided that I'm going to pay our mortgage for 1242 for the year. That would be a fantastic blessing. That'd be a lot of fun. But I'm responsible to you and to our budget. I can't then go and say, ooh, I'm going to divert those other funds that we'd set aside for our mortgage and build a rooftop deck. I can't just go do that. We're responsible to each other for everything that we have. And so if a big change were to come, we would do a revised budget and go through that whole process again. So there's responsibility to one another. We also have something that you should know about uh, rooted off of the passage that Jason read called the Barnabas Fund. This is a fund that is outside of our operating budget where people give money to people for moments when people within our community have a need and we can then meet that need. And so outside of our uh, giving budget, there's a lot of people maybe who are between jobs, need help with rent, their health insurance doesn't cover counseling costs. So this is a budget you should know about. I have no, no ability to use any of that money. That's a whole separate team, again, to the plurality. A group of people who decide how to allocate those funds and also then how to minister to the person. Are they going through a hard time? How can we love them? Can we offer financial counseling? Some people don't know how to make a budget. We can help one another with that. And then lastly, I would say this, we wanna be a generous church. When we talk about being people of generosity, we as a church want that same thing. Our, I'm, 
It will be such a delight when the mortgage is paid off because think of all the funds that can be diverted to other ministries or supporting other ministries that are already doing kingdom work here in the city. At the end of last fiscal year, which was the end of May, we had underspent our budget because it was a very cautious year of spending. We had underspent what had come in and we gave the remainder away. We picked uh, our two global partners and two local ministries doing great work around this city, and we want to be postured as a giving church. Okay, enough about that. We should talk about the Bible again. But that's really important that we all know how our own resources are being spent and stewarded. So back to this passage, communal generosity. With all of these marks, we have to always remember that these are the overflow of people participating with God through the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit doing these works in the church. And we read, they shared everything they had, even selling possessions to share with those in need. There was no one needy among them. These are big statements. Everyone did this. No one had need. They sold everything. We know that might sound like a lot of hyperbole, overstatement. And that's true. Remember, in the ancient Near East, historians not only told history, but their part of their task was to uh, impart wisdom or theology. So it, it's overstated for a reason, to be formative history, so to say. This wasn't... Uh, socialism, though, as we think of it. Here's a couple of things to mark how we can see that. Number one, the sharing of all of these goods, it was voluntary. This was not a forced system. Number two, we see people do still own homes. They were gathering in their homes. So we know that the everything statement, it, it is hyperbole to form us in a certain way. But people were still gathering in their homes. And then lastly, it, it didn't spill into political uh, world at all. This was this community saying, we are going to share with one another so that all needs are met. So what we do see then, if it's not socialism, is that the Spirit is prompting a healthy continuation of the law as was given to Moses in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 15, 4 to 11, to care for the needy among you and the marginalized. This is the Spirit prompting that to be lived out in a way that was extravagant. It was noteworthy to the people around them. Remember in uh, Acts 2.42 last week we read that all this community devoted themselves to teaching, fellowship, meals, including the Lord's Supper, and prayer. Those were the things they were devoted to, and people were drawn to this. People saw this way of living and were drawn in to this fellowship, towards this community of believers We'd look for a minute, if we could, at the original language used in what we have translated as fellowship. This is a Greek word that's koinonia, and it would better be that fellowship, koinonia, better translated as a common enterprise or a company, meaning like, um, like a partnership, like how you do is how I do too, if we own a business together right? Our lives are bonded in a unique way, and it sort of would be a better term for it than fellowship. They have a lived sense of partnerships. Their lives are joined together through the Spirit, and therefore the haves and have-nots are bound together in real and tangible ways, and we just, we can't have have have-nots among us because that wouldn't do in a partnership of this type. Another observation that I would just share is that this passage, this explanation of the community in general as we see it in Acts, it's not about tithes. 
that system of set giving. Now, system of set giving is good to have our hearts postured to be a giving people. That's good, but that's not what's being talked about here. This is not their tithes and regular giving. This is above and beyond generosity. And each was giving as they were able. If one had a meal of something to share and somebody else had, like Barnabas, a piece of property, it, it was equal sacrifice, not equal giving. And so the idea is that they all were giving and all needs were met. In other words, God took care of everything through the very people who were gathered together in his name. They would have the resources needed. We also see in another section of Acts an example of above and beyond giving, a church giving beyond their budget. We see in Acts 11, 27 to 30, that the spirit predicted a famine was coming to another area, and the community here responded in generosity to a community that wasn't even in their area. Remembering that famine most affects impoverished or marginalized people. They responded with an above and beyond gathering of resources to take care of these people. I love what Willie James Jenning eloquently points out. Money here in this community will be used to destroy what money normally is used to create, distance and boundaries between people. And this community of God is using their resources to destroy those very things that money otherwise has been historically used to create. It's really beautiful. But right after this, if you're reading along in our uh, scripture reading, you'll start off this next week with this really strange passage about this couple, Ananias and Sephora. What are we going to do with this couple? Because right after Barnabas gives his field and all of the resources, we go right to this other couple who sells something. This is really weird. I'm going to do a Pillman paraphrase here. So this couple comes up, they've apparently decided and vowed that they're going to give all the proceeds from the sale of their property to this community. They vowed that before God into this community. Then separately, I don't know why separately, they come to Peter and they've taken some of their money and they've left it aside and they give it and they're like, here it all is. We're giving it all to the fellowship, the koinonia, right? And um, Peter, through the Holy Spirit, it knows that they're lying. And he's like, ooh, you lied before God. That was a bad idea. And uh, Ananias just is dead. It's divine judgment. God kills. It's very hard passage to read. But then wife Sephora comes up. She doesn't know that that happened. She does the same thing. Oh, here's everything from the field we sold. And same thing happens to her. And you read this and you're like, this is not really going with this whole utopian community feeling I was getting. I think Peter just struck two people dead for not giving every last thing that they had. But so, okay, here's what we need to understand about this passage. It's not about they didn't give everything. They, they broke a vow to God, not to Peter. I mean, to Peter and the community as well, but it was, it was divine judgment because they vowed that they were giving everything and they tried to trick the Lord and look good to the community while they were doing it. They tried to deceive God and break their vow, but they've come in a posture to say, I want to join. I want to join you, this koinonia. Here's everything. They want the joining. They want the koinonia, but they broke a vow. They want to be honored like Barnabas. Hey, Barnabas gave that field. Here's our everything. Look at us. We're giving so much. This is a huge, would be a huge giving that they had, right? They want to join. They want to be honored in koinonia, but they want to hold on to their privilege. They want to take some privilege and keep it in their pocket. 
for them to have in another way. And there's divine judgment that comes upon them because of this. So the joining is the thing that we press into here. Uh, Usta Gonzalez says, summarizes this, that they're looking at this God's kingdom on display with love, peace, abundance, justice. That's what we're seeing in the book of Acts, right? I love that summary. Love, peace, abundance, justice. I want to join into that koinonia, that thing that's going on there to join in. And we see the people are doing this and they are leaning in. But he, uh, Jennings also says, we often read this story and we're struck by the radicalness of the spectacular giving, but we miss the spectacular joining because that's what's happening in this koinonia. That's why I emphasize not just the financial generosity here. It's rooted in koinonia. That's why fellowship doesn't do it justice. They were the gathered church, but the koinonia is their partnered life together bondedness. I wrote that definition. Do you like that? I was trying to like get out the essence of it better than fellowship, because that can sound like gathering. What we use, the, the, the ecclesia. Oh my gosh, I just I must that up. Anyway, the church, our gathering together is one word, and that's a very important word, but koinonia, that is partnered life together bondedness, and it's drawing people in, and they're seeing it. I loved one author, and I'm sorry, I couldn't find it again after I read it. It's not like they were koinonia, and therefore they gave and shared all the things that held each other's burdens. It wasn't that way. They are, as a community, as a gathering, they gave and shared each other's burdens with radical generosity and fellowship, partnered life together, bondedhood, koinonia was birthed from that. That's the order of how these things came. Their joined life together birthed koinonia fellowship and people were joining their numbers every day because they were seeing this real life togethering in a radical way. And remember this as well. When we look at their koinonia fellowship, they were bonded together, not only with one another, but with God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they were bound in to that triune life. They give themselves to this life together and their posture is that if they're giving their lives together with one another and with God, possessions will follow because that's where your heart is. So of course your possessions will follow out of that. Where your heart is, there too your treasure will be. But an observation that I want to leave for us and this morning that can feel awkward to talk about money is something else that I think is really important to remember. The way that they were koinonia, they were partnered life togethering enough to know the need. We have to let each other know the need. We have to know the needs in order to have any chance of meeting the needs. If we only bring our pretty put together selves into this koinonia here, that, that's, not, that's not partnered life bonded togethering. It doesn't work that way. It's, it's not going to work. The Spirit is trying to birth this in us, always longing to birth this in any church gathered together in God's name. The church wants to birth koinonia fellowship, and it will. The Spirit will birth this in us if we're willing. We need to know the needs. Be ready to meet the needs in radically generous ways. Because all of this, remember, this fellowship knew that every need was being met. That was their witness. Not that they were such great givers, 
like what uh, Ananias and Sephora were trying to get this honor for being the great givers, like Barnabas was honored. He was a great giver of gifts. That's great. But it's not about just that. It's not about... Um, it, the, the witness of this moment isn't the radical generosity. Is that they trusted all the needs were met. God provided through the community. This is God's radical provision. God's radical generosity meant that in this fellowship, all needs could be met by way of the fellowship. That's what was happening here. They leaned in on trust that God is giving us all that we have. They were experiencing, they were living in this trajectory of Luke's two-part work here. They are living the experience of the faithfulness of God through Jesus, now through the Holy Spirit, and through community. It's God's continued story that we knew from how they experienced Yahweh with Abraham. They know this story. It's just trusting in it. It's leaning back into it. It's trusting in God's continued work, God's continued generosity, and above and beyond radical generosity in response to that as a community, each as we have ability. They're living in the overflow of God's generosity. And we too posture ourselves as we continue to join in with God's plan. We want to join in this kingdom living of love, peace, abundance, and justice, overflowing from God through us and to the world to that moment when, when we can be radically generous to others as well. That's our heart posture, our desire as a church. Because in that way, we can share a glimpse of God's generosity with the world around us until the glorious future comes and all of this need for some tool called money will be gone. But in the meantime, we steward our tools well with kingdom purposes joining with God as God makes all things new. Father God, we thank you for your holy word, the scriptures. We thank you for Luke's account of this early community. We thank you that we get to lean back into something that is ancient and timeless, your continued story. And God, as we are here in this little pocket of Chicago, in wherever we are in your continued story, we know that right here still matters. We wanna learn from the history of your people, Lord. We want to learn how to be people who are active in our worship and who are generous as a community with and for one another for your purposes. God, in all of these things, we want to be birthing koinonia through the Holy Spirit. That means that you are on display. Your generosity, your provision, your um, just radical love over your people. Could we continue to live that out in such a way that people could be drawn in to see that there is such great love here among us because you are here among us. We honor your presence, God. And we continue to sing and pray and praise in your holy name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.